You're listening to Vet to Vet Coaching with Dr. Ginger Templeton. This is Episode 9 and Part 2 in a series, Lessons from Leukemia. I am very excited to be offering a new program called Spark. It is weekly group coaching available for veterinary team members. I firmly believe that everyone deserves access to an objective, highly trained, knowledgeable coach. But let's face it, one-to-one coaching can be expensive. And group coaching not only is affordable, but it provides a unique benefit. What is group coaching? You're going to come into a Zoom call. You may submit a question and may be picked to be coached in front of the group. You don't have to be coached in front of the group, and that's where the unique second benefit comes in. By listening to others get coached through their problems, you are going to learn how to apply these tools to your own concerns. And because this is a group of veterinary team members, you are going to hear issues that you are facing. You are going to hear issues that your team is facing. This is going to be highly relevant to your day-to-day. So for $67 a month, you can get group coaching on a weekly basis and have access to me via email for quick questions and the tools that I teach. If you want to sign up, go to my website, drdrgingertempleton, that's drgingertempleton.com. If you're not sure if this is right for you, just send me an email. We'll talk through it. Ginger at vetdevetcoaching.com. Don't delay. Spark is going to be an amazing program. It's going to change the lives of veterinary team members. I want to see you there. Welcome back to the podcast. It's May and we're still dealing in North Carolina with the stay-at-home order from COVID. Um, I won't even get into my thoughts on that. I don't know what's, what's going to happen these next couple of weeks as we start to open back up if we start to open back up, but it is a beautiful sunny day. I have had a fabulous, fabulous day, and I feel so grateful for the weather and this time with my family and uh, just, you know, being able to really focus on what matters during this COVID outbreak. So I am back with episode two in the series, Lessons from Leukemia. I think most of you will know by now that my daughter is a leukemia survivor. She had AML. She was diagnosed when she was three, and we spent six months inpatient um, in the hospital. And we did go home a few times, but we were in the hospital anywhere from 30 to 45 days at a stretch. And we'd go home for maybe four or five days and then turn around and come back, do it again. And so with that experience, I feel that I have a lot to share about what we're going through right now with COVID, but I also think the lessons that leukemia taught me are widely applicable to our mental health and well-being. So today I'm going to talk about a topic that is really kind of straightforward in my opinion. I wanted to title this episode, You Need a Therapist, and I thought, "Eh, maybe that's a little bit too much, but I am going to talk about therapy, seeking counseling and mental health interventions from a professional for those of us in the veterinary industry. So many of you may be aware of the 2015 JAFMA paper by Net et al. It was entitled Risk Factors for Suicide, Attitudes Toward Mental Illness, 
and practice-related stressors among U.S. veterinarians. And not surprisingly, there was a lot of really, really important and kind of sad and discouraging information in this, in this paper. But what I want to talk about today is the middle part of that title, Attitudes Toward Mental Illness. They did not dig deeply into this with their research, but they got a very important piece of data, in my opinion. So they asked the question, do you agree, disagree, strongly agree, strongly disagree, with the following statement, people are caring toward persons with mental illness. Among U.S. adults that do not have a serious psychological disorder, 60% agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. Some would agree or strongly agreed. Among U.S. veterinarians without a significant psychological diagnosis, only about 30 to 35% agreed with that statement. So of, you know, reasonably mentally healthy U.S. veterinarians, only about 30 to 35% of us believe that our peers, our colleagues, our neighbors, I don't know, people around us would be caring toward us if they knew that we had mental illness or during a time of mental illness. It gets even more alarming when you look at U.S. adults versus U.S. veterinarians with a serious psychological diagnosis. Not surprisingly, those people suffering from a mental illness are going to report a lower uh, you know, agreement with this statement. They've probably been the victim of more negative feelings or actions because of their diagnosis, or they may be more sensitive to the perception of those negative biases and stigmas. So among adults in the U.S. with a serious psychological distress, 45% about agreed with the statement, either somewhat agreed or strongly agreed, people are caring toward persons with mental illness. Among veterinarians, with serious psychological distress, only about 15% agreed with that statement. Think about that for a moment. Think about your colleagues. Think about what we hear about suicide among veterinarians. If you look at your fellow veterinarian, or maybe you look at yourself, and you're struggling with a mental illness, and then you only have a... Uh, about a one in 10 chance of believing that those around you are caring toward and about your mental illness. Where does that leave you? What kind of hope does that leave you with? What is your attitude going to be towards seeking help? If you're struggling so profoundly that you don't have the energy, the ability to seek out that help, are you going to ask a friend to help you? Maybe, maybe not. 85% of veterinarians with a serious psychological distress, you know, on the scale that this paper used, did not agree with that statement. So then it's not surprising that we may face, as a profession, more barriers to accessing mental health services than the general population. And some of that is as simple as our perception of stigma, our concern perhaps for the repercussions if we seek that care. There are other barriers to access in my opinion, and this is what I learned during leukemia. So when we were in the hospital, you know, 
I have to say, pediatric oncologists and their uh, staff, they do a really good job of trying to focus on the mental health and well-being of their patients and families. We did not take advantage of the services that were available for a number of reasons, and I'll get to that. But during Lindsay's treatment, we really relied on her oncologists, her nurses, so people who are not really trained in mental health, and frankly, on just white knuckling it, gritting our teeth and getting through, instead of taking out time to sit down with a professional and come up with some strategies to deal with this incredibly, incredibly traumatic situation that we were all facing. When I think about that, I think about what informed that decision, the decision not to seek out that help, the decision not to obtain that help. Help. And I have a few theories, and I'm going to share those with you today. Whenever I talk to other professionals, non-veterinarians, but you know, people with advanced degrees, practitioners, whether they be in medicine or in other fields, the topic of veterinary suicide often comes up. This is something, you know, of course, that I am speaking about widely and very open and upfront about. And when they seem surprised and ask why, I often joke, well, you know, we veterinarians were kind of a crusty group. And of course, I don't really mean that. And of course, most of the veterinarians that I know are hilarious and brilliant and bright and, you know, have so many wonderful characteristics. But we do tend to try to grit our, te- grit our teeth and bear it. We try to white knuckle it. And the reality is, this is doing us a great disservice. And I think we're seeing this play out and the growing recognition of veterinary mental illness. And of course, the result of that, which sometimes is veterinary suicide. So when Lindsay was inpatient, we had access to some forms of therapy. But I was very concerned about the financial implications. So I didn't know if we worked with the psychologist in the hospital, if we would be charged for those services. Now, I could have asked, but I didn't. I don't know why. I don't really think I was afraid of being judged for seeking out help, but maybe a little bit. I think I may have also been uh, a little concerned about being judged for worrying about the financial piece. But at that time, we had high deductible health insurance, and we were facing, you know, (laughs) big hospital bills that at the time we, we couldn't even imagine. We didn't know really what we were facing. There was so much unknown. And so I was just afraid of adding one more thing to the, the, the pile. Now, I realize that that might sound silly, but in more applicable terms to what we're facing as veterinarians, and especially during this COVID crisis, do you have student loans? Do you have a mortgage? Do you have business debt? Do you have kind of a crummy health insurance policy that doesn't cover behavioral health or or doesn't cover it well? Do you have a high copay? Do you have a high deductible? Think about your brain, (laughs) uh, you know, digesting this information. Think about when you're having your moments of stress, frustration, compassion, fatigue, burnout, all of the things that we face as veterinarians. Does your brain even let you get to the point of considering calling and scheduling an appointment with a therapist or psychiatrist? Or do you immediately stop short and say, hmm, it's going to be expensive. I'm, I'm just not even going to go there. You may not even be realizing that you're stopping yourself at that step. 
And for all of the things that I'm going to mention today, I really want to emphasize, if this does not apply to you, please keep in mind that it may apply to somebody near you. And whether that's an associate or a practice owner or somebody who's support staff, I want you to think about these perceptions and realities and think of ways that you might be able to be the voice of wisdom and of comfort and open the door to people getting the help that they need. So the financial piece is very real. We know, and in fact, that paper that I mentioned, the JAVMA paper, they looked at the role of financial stress in veterinary health. And I think it's a no-brainer. Of course, it's a big role. We have high student loans, low income relative to you know our other professional peers, and often business debt as well. Of course, anything that adds to the financial burden may be something that we simply reject as an option. And therapy can, you know, be expensive depending on your insurance and depending on where you're seeking it out. So what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you budget and you work on your priorities. And that sounds really preachy and condescending. And trust me, I say this after 10 years of not getting the help that I needed. And then finally, prioritizing mental health and wellness. And when I budgeted for it, I got the help that I needed, and it's made a big difference. But simply putting that at the top of my budget, instead of way down below, you know, my daughter's swim lessons, for example, it really allows me to see how necessary this is, how important it is to me, and therefore prioritize making it happen within my budget. Time. Time is the big one. I think that our time deficit is greater in many cases even than our financial deficit as veterinarians. Work-life balance, especially for those of you who are parents, it is it is non-existent, right? So we work all day, we come home to our families, and who's going to take an hour a week or two hours a month or whatever the case may be to, you know, go sit down with somebody and talk about our feelings, you know, whether we're crusty or not. We just may see that as impractical. This comes back to a budget, a time budget instead of a financial budget. But what I want you to do is really sit down five minutes, jot out how you're spending your days and budget time for this. Again, prioritizing your mental health above some other time wasters. And for those of you who are practice owners, allowing your staff, especially your associates who who may not have what we really consider paid time off, let them, you know, do what you can to make it possible for them to seek out therapy if they need to during normal business hours. I realize that it's hard. I realize our schedules are insane. And trust me when I say even as a mobile vet with a lot of flexibility, time has been a huge barrier for me. When I started to seek out the help of a therapist, I lucked out and found one who was open on Saturdays. Now, I decided to choose her for the reasons she was recommended by my uh, primary care provider, who I really respect. But the, the there was just this side bonus that she did Saturday hours, and nobody wanted the eight o'clock on Saturday. And at the moment, I don't see I don't uh, see patients within my house call practice on Saturdays. And when I work relief on Saturdays, I just I don't have an appointment with her. And so my point in that is you may be surprised. You may find somebody who does evening appointments or Saturdays, and it 
you know, maybe a little more doable. Now, those of you with young children, I realize you don't want to sacrifice 30 minutes to drive to see somebody, an hour to meet with them, and 30 minutes to drive home. You don't want to miss any more time than you already are with your children. But believe me when I say, if you find a therapist to work with who helps you achieve results, the quality of the time that you spend with your children is going to be so much greater. You are going to, you know, in time, get so much more out of that. And of course, your children in turn are going to get so much more out of that. And I would say the same with work, you know, again, to you, to the owners out there, allowing, encouraging your associates to get the, whether it's actual therapy, or in some cases, maybe even just coaching that they need, I want you to do it from an altruistic place. But I want you to understand that if they are really working on their mental well-being, it will potentially really pay off in the dynamics within your hospital, in their productivity, and in a lot of ways that, you know, I hesitate to mention because, again, I really want this to be about our mental health and not the benefits of, you know, achieving mental health or working on mental health. But I think it is important to consider that there are payoffs beyond simply doing the right thing. Now, the next category was a real barrier for me when we were in the hospital. And it went something like this. I've had therapy before. I didn't really do that much. It's not going to help. Why bother? If you hear yourself saying that, whether you've had therapy before and didn't find it that useful, or you haven't had therapy before, but you really just don't believe, you think it's a waste of time, you think it's sitting around touchy-feely talking about feelings, I want to encourage you to give it a try. Challenge yourself. If you're so smart and you have it all figured out, but you're still not happy, then do it as an experiment. Go be a snarky, crusty scientist and see what this whole, you know, therapy thing is about. And I keep saying therapy, but there are a million different, okay, maybe not a million, but there are many different schools of thought, types, approaches to therapy. And so, you know, you can have uh, DBT, CBT, EMDR, all of these different things that, you know, good therapists will incorporate many different modalities. And you may find something that works really well for you that wasn't even being used widely 10 or 15 years ago. Or maybe you'll find that the therapist that you settle on is a better match. Or maybe, and this is what I found, you'll find that you're ready to get to work on your brain. And that's not touchy-feely. Your brain, the neurons, the pathways, the hormones, the firing, the plasticity within your brain, and the crusty old habits that you've developed over the years of, of not working on your brain, there's potential there. There's potential for growth, for improvement. There's potential to feel better. And it's not, it doesn't have to be touchy-feely. Yes, we can talk about our feelings in therapy. You don't necessarily have to sit and relive and relitigate the past. You may simply need to find the right therapist who takes the approach that resonates with your personality. And that might take interviewing a few people. And yes, paying them for their time, just as we like to get paid for our time. But if you do that and you find the right person, again, it will pay off in droves. The last barrier to access that I'm going to mention, I think is really common among veterinarians and probably MDs to an extent. I, I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine. And I would say it was definitely an issue for me when Lindsay was in the hospital. They, the therapist, won't understand my unique situation. I really believed this when I finally decided 
to schedule an appointment with a psychologist. The first one I chose, it turns out she wasn't a good fit, but I went into it with kind of a crummy attitude. I thought, you know, you don't know what it is to be a veterinarian. You don't know what it is to be burned out. It's not puppy dogs and kitty cats. You may not know how educated I am, my scientific background. So how can you possibly understand how I analyze the world? And how can you understand how I reconcile all of that with raising two children, one of which is a cancer survivor, and all the trauma that was associated with that? I had a chip on my shoulder in a way. When I found the psychologist who I am currently working with, who is a fantastic match for my personality, I went into her office ready to work. And part of being ready to work was being willing to have a difficult conversation when I felt like she didn't really quite understand where I was coming from because of my career, especially when we were dealing with the topics of burnout and compassion fatigue. I really stuck with the back and forth of the conversation, even when it was maybe a little uncomfortable, and would say, I don't, I don't think you quite get what I'm saying. I, I don't know if you really understand this. Now, keep in mind, your, your counselor, your therapist, they don't have to understand your unique life situation. They simply have to be adept at helping to coach you and give you the tools. But to some extent, we want to be understood. And to be understood, we have to be willing to explain. And with what we do as veterinarians, and with what I faced with my daughter's cancer, Sometimes you have to be both the teacher and the patient. You have to share. You have to explain. You have to be patient. You have to understand there's no way that they can really have a, a window into your world as a veterinarian unless you open that window and take the time to guide them through what you want them to see. So those five barriers to access, financial, time, the feeling of it won't help, why bother, which is, you know, closely related to the fourth of I tried it and it didn't work. And then the last one, you know, this conception, this misperception that therapists are touchy-feely and they won't understand us as scientists, or perhaps they won't understand our specific unique situation that we're dealing with. Those are very, very real deterrents for many of us to seek the help that we need. And right now, some of those are compounded by COVID. Well, we can't get to the therapist's office. They're only doing telemedicine. Well, my finances are worse right now because of COVID. So I really don't want to spend the money. I don't have the money to spend. There is a new barrier to access, and maybe it's not really all that new. There is a new misconception, I guess, is what I'm trying to say with COVID, which is the opposite of they won't understand me. It's, I don't have it that bad. There were times during Lindsay's treatment when I found myself thinking, her diagnosis isn't terminal yet. I don't have it that bad. There are other moms who need this more. She's still alive. I don't have it that bad. There are other moms who need therapy more. I should be grateful. And I know the same is happening with COVID. I still have my job. My practice is actually busy. My um, husband didn't get laid off. 
I have a husband who can help me with the children. Whatever you're saying to yourself, I don't have it that bad, is not a reason to not get the help that you need. If you're struggling right now, if you're hurting, maybe you're not even so low that you would say struggling, but you know deep down you could benefit from addressing some anxiety or some depression or perhaps substance abuse, I don't have it that bad shouldn't hold you back. Because believe me, there are plenty of therapists, there are plenty of psychologists, there are plenty of psychiatrists to see those of us with milder illness and those of us with more severe. So what about those of you who are already getting this help? Maybe you've listened to patiently and thank you if you have, but how does this apply to you? Well, think back to that JAVMA paper. 85% of your colleagues with psychological distress and a significant percent of your colleagues without psychological distress believe that the general population isn't going to be caring to those of us with mental illness. How do we combat that? We combat that by doing what I'm doing right here. Talk about it. Now, I don't have to sit down and say, oh, last Saturday, my therapist and I, we talked about my mom and we talked about my kids. You don't have to share all the feelings and the emotions and the private matters. We don't want to overshare. We want to have good, healthy boundaries. But simply sharing the fact that you seek out the help of a professional to work on the health of your brain, that's powerful. That breaks down the stigma. And let me promise you, the, the more you normalize this by simply mentioning it casually, the better those around you are going to perceive it. And again, I've alluded to this, but create the time and the resources for your staff. You can have a veterinary social worker come into your practice and give a lunch and learn. They exist, and I bet you you'd be surprised that there are more out there that you know that would be more than happy to come and talk. Some practices are even hiring veterinary social workers. And certainly this can be done on a part-time basis. And they can help you not only with your clients and that type of communication and with, you know, pet owner grief and all of those things, but also be a tremendous resource for your staff. So consider that as well. And then the last thing is share the data. You know, if you're on social media, share the papers about mental health and veterinarians post resources for getting help for suicide hotlines for mental health resources that are provided through your local veterinary boards or, or VMAs make this normal make it something that is not stigmatized in your local micro environment I'm going to end this very simply I want you to get help now I want you to turn off the podcast and I want you to go to your insurance website and look for in-network therapists or I want you to email a trusted friend or colleague or simply do an internet search. I want you to send an email and start the process of getting that appointment scheduled. And you may be thinking, I don't need it. And maybe you don't. But if even a small part of you is thinking, I could really benefit. I could really benefit from this. I want you to do it now. 
Because I promise you, if you wait until tomorrow, you wait until the week has gotten ahead of you or gotten away from you, it gets that much harder. But right now, if you're driving, you know, pull over, wait until you're parked. But before you go into wherever you're going, start the ball rolling. All it takes is sending an email, reaching out. And then, you know, when you get that return, when you get that reply, then you have momentum to get this help that you need. And very last, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts, please know there are many resources out there for you, not the least of which is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and their phone number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-TALK. And please, if you are having suicidal thoughts, please reach out and get the help that you need. Have a wonderful week, and I will see you back next week with more lessons from leukemia. Dr. Templeton is a licensed veterinarian in the state of North Carolina. She is not a medical doctor or mental health provider. The content of this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. It does not substitute for medical or mental health care. The content of this show is not meant to diagnose or treat any human medical or mental health conditions, veterinary medical conditions, nor is it meant to provide legal or financial advice. At VetDevet Coaching, we take mental health and the veterinary suicide issue very seriously. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, thoughts of self-harm, or a mental health crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or seek emergency care locally.